you should try organic. What about becoming vegan? Don't eat any carbs. How about low carb? Paleo, keto, don't eat anything white. Don't forget about the dirty dozen. You eat too little. You eat too much. Don't forget to fast before you work out. I do intermittent fasting. Don't eat after six o'clock. Oh my God, sugar? Every day, I'm inundated with opinions. And you know what they say about opinions. Please, don't be foodish. Join me, Amy Goldsmith, owner of Kinder Nutrition and Wellness and Dietitian for 20 years, as I talk evidence-based nutrition to get the disorder out of eating. I can't wait to serve you. So, a lot of you are getting to know me, but those of you who do know me would probably agree that I'm blunt, I'm transparent, and I'm evidence-based. I don't really talk about things that I don't really know to be true, and I usually stay in my lane. When you have a strong personality like that, a lot of times you notice how many people speak out of their scope or repeating misconceptions and unfactual information. This led me to really believe that I needed to start a podcast. The great thing about that is I'm tenacious and I was excited and I was able to get guests right away. The bad thing is, is I have zero IT skills. That's where Anchor came into place. It was so wonderful to be able to log on to Anchor set up an account, start recording, and even learn how to edit. I can do it from my phone and I can do it from my desktop. I'm so excited to work with Anchor and I've been absolutely thrilled to be able to provide you with great communication and evidence-based information. If you want to start a podcast, I highly encourage that you check Anchor out. Give it a try. Well, welcome everybody. It's Amy from Don't Be Foodish, and I am so excited for our guest today. I would like everybody to welcome Nicole Stein, a dietitian at the Renfrew Center. Hello, it's good to be here. We are so glad to help have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so everybody can get familiar with you? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I'm a dietitian at the Renfrew Center and I've been there for, you know, quite a few years by now. I'm being one of the dietitians at the site. So working with clients of eating disorders, you know, doing individual sessions with those clients and family sessions, doing a lot of nutrition, educational groups. I do there a lot of, you know, meal planning and prepping meals. And just like a lot of that, like support and communication there. So it's been, it's been a great, great ride. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, especially these years that we've been getting an increase because a lot more people are reaching out for that support. So that's been going on. It's great to, I love that you point that out that, you know, people are seem to be allowing themselves to be more vulnerable and assertive asking for help. And so you know, oftentimes I think people don't think about that. We are very, although it's very difficult to work with eating disorders and, you know, it's, it could be scary at times. Um, on our side, we are always so grateful that people are assertive and have the support to get the help that they need. Absolutely. And, you know, we all are here for a reason and we want to give that support. So, you know, we are here for all those who are reaching out and we definitely love that they reach out so that we can support them. Right. 
And so tell me about Renfrew. I mean, I know for everybody that's listening, I am an outpatient group practice and work very closely with other outpatient therapists, sometimes other outpatient dietitians, um, and also work with many different like residential centers, um, hospitals, IOP, PHP, we have all these little abbreviations. Can you tell us a little bit more about Renfrew? Yeah, so Renfrew obviously is an eating disorder treatment program. We have a few residential levels of care. In Maryland, we have a PH program, which is basically a day treatment program that is five days a week um, for about five hours a day. We also have an IOP program, which is three nights a week for about three hours. So they both provide levels of support. The day program is obviously a lot more support, while our IOP program is less support and it's also bringing in, you know, real life into it. You know, many people are back at work or back at school and still using IOP as a little bit more support or more support from an outpatient level or, you know, a step down from that, from that day program. So both programs, we do offer psychoeducation, psychodynamic, uh, experiential, focusing on many topics, processing through body image, nutrition, of course, some values, expressive, maybe some trauma and substance use. So both, both of those programs provide that. We also provide meal support. So in our day program, we do meal support for breakfast and lunch and maybe a snack or two. And then our evening program is dinner support. We provide individual therapy, nutrition therapy, family therapy, psychiatric evaluation. You know, it's all your, all your appointments, all your team in one place, which makes it really, really nice, um, you know, at this level of care. It makes it nice. It makes it convenient and it makes it safe because they're familiar with the space, which is really good. And Mm -hmm. I feel like our discussion is just so timely. I know Children's National uh, published an article April 20th, uh, and it was it was so nice to see this as validation. Uh, But they have published that uh, the National Eating Disorders Association has experienced a 40% increase in call call volume Mm -hmm. since March 2021 uh, regarding eating disorders specific to the teen and adult population. And I know we've talked and we are definitely seeing this on our end as well. Uh, What do you think plays a role in this increase in call volume? Yeah, so one I think mental health is being more outspoken these days. So I think a, a lot of people are hopefully seeing that there are resources out there, that there is help that can be provided. So I think that is really, really great that's happening. And, you know, we all know this pandemic is causing a lot of, a lot of stress, a lot of triggers. And mm-hmm. I know we've been seeing the pandemic has been a trigger. So mm-hmm. We've noticed an increase in calls in admissions. And, you know, while we right now are doing virtual therapy, you know, I think that has been amazing that we can provide that because we can provide services to so many more people for more people that are calling out there rather than, you know, people who don't have access to this close by. 
I agree. I agree. And, you know, the article kind of speaks to exactly like you said, that pandemic is for sure a trigger. I think something to keep in mind, and this is for anybody who um, has a loved one or a friend who suffers with an eating disorder, you know, they're very complex in nature and you don't necessarily have to understand it. Uh, you know, if you're not, if you're a provider, you absolutely have to, but if you were a family member or a friend, you don't absolutely have to understand it, but, uh, you know, validating and accepting is a very important thing. And, and some of the things that were in this article made a lot of sense, you know, we are now in this virtual world, um, but we have more, you know, our young adults and even our adults have more of a chance to compare than they ever have. Now they're on a video and they can see somebody's room or their house or how they look um, and, you know, spending hours of time on social media, which we all know that that, you know, we're an experiment with social media. So they show us what what they think we want to see. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with a lot of the hours on social media and, you know, that comparison, then it could decrease that uh, self-image, self-esteem, and that that is kind of creating these negative body image and, you know, desires to control two things that are very easy for young adults, your exercise and your food. Yeah. So I think people would be surprised at how closely we actually work together, even though we are, you know, different companies and, you know, um, exclusive. We actually work very closely together at times, um, depending on which patients. Um, would you like to explain that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And I know, Amy, like you and I have are constantly talking, you know, probably almost weekly about mutual clients. And that relationship is so important. You know, I'm sure you can speak of like you have outpatient teams have built a rapport with clients, have, you know, know more about the background, know, have been doing the work and knowing like, okay, what is helpful? What is not helpful? And when someone comes into our care, who has been working with an outpatient team, you know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We just kind of, we want to like supplement the work that they've been doing with, you know, maybe a little bit more support, maybe a a little bit more hands-on. So having that communication is always really, really great to, you know, see where our next steps would be to see, you know, what are some of the nutritional needs, some of those goals, seeing some of those therapeutic goals. And, you know, that, that is really helpful. And if someone doesn't have that outpatient team beforehand, like that's totally fine. We'll make sure we'll set someone up by the time that they leave and have that same communication afterwards, just to kind of ease up that transition. Cause we know going from an outpatient team to, you know, a treatment can be, you know, a little overwhelming. It can be a little bit scary and, you know, leaving treatment and going to that outpatient team that can be a little overwhelming. That can be scary. So that communication will just only help. It won't even hurt. And I know you and I have talked like, you know, weekly about clients. And, you know, updating, updating you and making sure you're in the loop and always, you know, getting feedback from you, you know, and your, your thoughts and your beliefs as well as vice versa. Yeah. And I think it's so important because I think you said something that kind of sits with me. And the fact is like, yes, it is scary. It is scary to change and transition with acuity of care. Um, and, And sometimes confusing, I think, you know, like I said, eating disorders are complex and they're not talked about as often. I mean, they're talked about more, which I think is wonderful, 
But I think especially as we, you know, just talked about the 40% increase in call volume, you know, that we are all seeing, you know, it's, it's quite obvious at times that people are calling um, different places that might not be the best fit for them at that time. So I think one of the things that we're also tasked with as providers is really having that objective assessment to see, okay, how can I help you? And if I can't, where can I, where can I help you get the help you need? So it's always been very um, advantageous for me to have the relationship with the higher acuities of care. And I understand what the program is so I can make that assessment for, you know, my patient and, you know, this would be a good fit for you. They take your insurance. I've been there. This is what it looks like. Um, you know, and knowing a referral to either is not a failure. It's, it's really, um, it's, it's our job. It's our ethical responsibility to make sure that we are assessing a patient and that they are being provided the appropriate resource. Would you agree? I would, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. There's, there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit more support. You know, if you get the support now, like that long-term be super beneficial and learning the skills. I will say, I imagine, you know, the outpatient team, there might be a little bit more trust with that outpatient team. So would hope, you know, if you might be like, Hey, maybe we need a little bit more support, like hoping that trust is there, that you're making the best recommendation for them. Right, right. And so when somebody starts PHP and IOP, uh, and I know this is this is a basic question, so I know it's individualized, but about how long does somebody spend in um, any or either of those programs? Yeah. So like you say, it's it's very individualized based on, you know, what the person, the client is coming in with you know, what is their progress looking like? How are they doing, you know, nutritionally and those goals, how they're, how are they doing therapeutically? It's very individualized. You know, it could be anywhere from, you know, maybe four weeks to six weeks to eight weeks. It really, it really just depends. And it's that constant communication with, you know, the team at Renfrew or any treatment center with the outpatient team as well. And with the clients so that, you know, we're all on the same page figuring out like how we can best support them and what would be the most beneficial. And do you feel that you have, and I don't want to really call it fast tracking, but what I find is that when I have someone who really needs a little bit more attention, I like the fact that like PHP and IOP, you do spend more hours in that facility. So, you know, they, when they're with the outpatient team, I mean, they, they hopefully trust us and they do get a lot of support, but you know, it's only usually an hour, maybe two hours a week with a dietitian, one, maybe two hours with a therapist. When you're in PHP IOP, you have the opportunity to meet with the dietitian and then have your individual therapy. And then, and like uh, family therapy, um, I feel like it's just, it's more intensive treatment. And so, I mean, would you agree? Yeah, it's definitely more intensive. And I also like to think about it as, you know, our day program really allows clients to just focus on their recovery Mm -hmm. and a lot of like, you know, work or school, you know, that might be decreased so that they can focus all their attention on their recovery. And so 
we can prepare them for when they start bringing their outside life in a little bit more. As we said before, it can, the transitions can be overwhelming. Life is overwhelming. So the day program, a lot more focus. Mm-hmm. And then in our IOP program, like we find a lot more sustained recovery going through the appropriate levels of care rather than like fast, like speeding through it or, you know, trying to skip it. And, you know, the IOP program, the night program is meant, let's bring in more life and still have, you know, support a few days a week. And so when you're back at your outpatient team, you can, you feel like you can handle that like one to two hours a week and your life. And you feel like you can juggle, juggle everything. So it's, you know, let's put our focus on recovery to help us when we can do outpatient. Yeah. And, and you, you make a good point that that statement, the focus on recovery, and that's, that's really how we kind of frame it up in the outpatient world too. Like we, when we assess and see that the external stressors are just so pervasive that it, it almost becomes impossible. You know, I I say to my, to my clients all the time, you know, you're handcuffed right now because Mm -hmm. of all the overwhelming experience you, you have, you know, externally. And a lot of times, you know, if somebody had cancer, for example, they would stop whatever they're doing to get their chemotherapy, their radiation, to stop the malignancy, you know, eating disorders are malignant. You know, they, 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 we may not identify a specific tumor, but when we realize that this disease is, is, uh, pervasive and prevalent, we need to, you know, have that care be just as important as it would for a cancer patient. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being able to say, okay, this, I'm going to spend five hours a day working and challenging, you know, this disease to get better. I feel like it's, it's, it's being brave. I feel like it shows acceptance and I feel like it's needed. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I sometimes like to put it in perspective of, of, you know, a few weeks is a really short amount of time compared to, you know, our lifetime. And it's, it's hard to let go of your life for a few weeks. No doubt that's really challenging. And that fear of missing out or, you know, getting behind, but in, in the long run, you know, thinking about how beneficial it could be doing the work in yeah. those moments. I think that one of the things I really like about our collaboration is, um, you know, I feel like we practice very similarly. Um, we both have a pretty strong clinical knowledge. I don't know if you would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> we, we love to look at the labs. We like to look at the evidence. Um, but we also realize that, you know, people cannot get well, or they cannot, you know, move towards remission and recovery until they're able to challenge all those disordered thoughts and behaviors. So I always uh, tell uh, my clients, patients, whatever you'd like to call, you know, them that, hey, you're gonna have a like hate relationship with me, right? Um, Dietitians, lots of times are the bad guys, right? And, and, And I, you know, for all of my audience, I want them to know, like, I'm completely okay with that because I know that I am challenging something that really is the bad guy. Right. Um, But the relationship that the people I treat have with their eating disorder is an abusive relationship. So of course, you know, the dietitian is challenging that abusive relationship or the food 
um, you know, sometimes we, we aren't liked right away. So how do you work through that? I know that's a big question, but, um, what are your thoughts about that? I, I definitely agree with you. Like seeing a dietitian and being told, you know, talking about food is, is a really uncomfortable to- topic. So meeting with a dietitian to talk about food or talk about weight or, you know, exercise is really hard. And we, you know, I'm t- typically not the most favorite at first. And for myself, like, I know that that's the eating disorder talking. I know that, you know, I, I can, and I work with the clients to separate, like what's the eating disorder and what's your true self. And I'm here to hold my grant to challenge the eating disorder. Cause I know that's best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that helps me. I think that also helps clients to re- realize, okay, like I don't hate you. I just like my eating disorder really hates you. Yeah. And a lot of times we see, you know, with, um, you know, gaining nutrition, gaining like nutrition in the brain and getting like the emotions process and that healthier relationship with food and body image, you start to see that shift of like, okay, you want to use a dietitian as that support, you know, they've been really helpful. It's just at first, not so sure if they trust us. Right, right. And you know, it's, uh, I value uh, the experience, because we know when, you know, patients come to us with malnutrition, you know, restriction or using other maladaptive um, symptoms, you know, such as purging or over-exercising, their cognition is not where it needs to be. I mean, we know that it's factual, right? And, and because we have all of that knowledge, we also know that, you know, since the cognition level is decreased, we have to get that fuel in, um, you know, and that the moods will change, the processing will change, um, that's also concrete information for our patients, right? Like all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I'm sleeping through the night or, you know, I'm not compulsively thinking about like my next meal or what I can have or what I can't have. And then we naturally see that nice shift. I think the other thing is, is that's exactly why we have the therapists there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I often say, Hey, my job is to challenge you and to give you concrete facts and nutrition education and you have every right to have a feeling about, you know, our relationship or to, you know, the challenges that I'm presenting, but this is also something that's worth processing through with your therapist, um, you know, and, and is really mandatory, I think. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, about I, I agree. It's, it's hard to just have one and not the other, you know, for, for us as dietitian, yeah, there's a lot of emotions that come up with you know, being asked to have certain foods or change the amount of intake or, you know, for as the body could potentially be changing and needing to, while we can process it some, you know, the therapist, that will be a very beneficial place. And I'm sure with a therapist, like things come up with food that they're like, you need to see a dietitian for that. So that team is so important. That's what's great having, being in like a higher level of care is that we have that team right all together, even with psychiatry, if there's needs to be any medical management, right? That that's all, that's all there. And, you know, treatment recovery is, you know, from many aspects, nutrition, medical, therapeutic, like they're all super important and needed. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I had somebody in my office uh, a couple of days ago and 
you know, I love the honesty and the rawness that I get with my clients. And this particular um, patient is very smart, was challenging me a little bit, which I also love that. I'm like, you know what, show me your personality chat. Let's challenge me so that we can talk through this. And, you know, she said, you're talking to me about potatoes and I know they're bad. And it's okay. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Every single time I eat potatoes, I am in a really bad place. And, you know, I'm usually in a, you know, I'm usually binging or purging. And, you know, I listened to what she was saying. She explained it a little bit more. And she said, I hate potatoes. And, you know, my response was, well, is it really about the potato or is it about the behavior that comes with your feelings about the behavior, the potato, you know, and she said, nobody's ever said it to Mm -hmm. me before. And I said, they're related and I don't want to invalidate you, but this is exactly why we have the therapist to work with us. Cause I'm telling you that the carbohydrates that you're getting from the potato Mm -hmm. are going to give you that nice five grams of carbohydrates that you need every hour for your brain to function. Mm -hmm you're telling me how you feel. That's more of a, maybe what you're mad at is the behavior, not the food. Right. Um, yeah. So that's just an example of the whole therapeutic and nutrition, um, kind of evolution that comes with eating disorders. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also thinking of like, there's a difference between hating and fearing something. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, being able to process the differences the eating disorder mindset's going to find every excuse to, to, to hate something yeah, or to yeah. avoid something. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's always beneficial. You know, I, I feel like there, I can say this with pretty, with a lot of certainty that, um, I truly feel that there's not a residential PHP IOP, um, that is going to hold on to clients or patients longer than they need to and the same as outpatient, right? Although I would say with the increase in volume, we've definitely had, it's been a little bit more challenging to get people where they need to be. Um, what I think is very valuable and I think it's important for, you know, patients and families, you know, to understand is that, you know, the collaboration is just very significant. So for example, if I am referring a patient, you know, to Renfro, you know, to to one of your facilities, the first thing I do is I notify, you know, here's the initials I referred. And it's not that I'm doing that to, you know, tattletale on my client or patient, but hey, let me know if this is going to occur. Um, Also, because if, if there's obstacles, like, uh, on my end, then, Hey, you know what, we'll call together next time we're in my office mm-hmm. or we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do to support that process to happen. Um, and then from there, I know Renfrew does their, their intake and their assessment and we get all the consent signed. Um, and it's very valuable that after you have that assessment, that objective assessment on it, it's very valuable to me to have like that, this kind of warm handoff is what I call it. So, you know, this is this, we're working, she's working with this therapist, mm-hmm. you know, dietitian. This is all the success that we've had. Here's the obstacles and challenges, you know, and that's just, I don't think that people truly understand like all the work that's on the back end, but that warm handoff makes the transition so much easier as you spoke to before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And vice versa. What I like about um, when we're talking from the PHP IOP you always give me a heads up. Okay. We're looking two to three weeks out. Um, 
they're going to need to be back on, you know, back with you. This is where, this is where we are. This is where we're going. Um, you know, for many reasons, it allows me to, to make sure that my schedule is open and that I can have that, you know, I have room for that person to come back. And then I also know, okay, again, it's that warm handoff. Okay. This is where we're going to move towards. Like, would you agree that that's really kind of explains the, the transition? Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. And, you know, from my experience, a lot of clients, a lot of patients do appreciate that and find something really, really comforting knowing that the outpatient team like has been in the loop or we've been in the loop coming in so that it's not going, it's not starting over again for, for them. It's not as scary to transition. So from what I've heard from patients, it's been great. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the family involvement. So this is, you know, it's different. I would say an outpatient, it's different kind of everywhere. I I would say we, for sure, my practice, we will assess a need for family therapy and recommend it. I will say, you know, and I'm just, I'm a blunt person, honest, it's probably the the recommendation that has followed through with the least. Uh, And I think it's because, you know, it's, it's, I think people, it's uncomfortable. Family therapy is uncomfortable. It's very well-regarded. There's lots of research that shows that, you know, it leads to success with, uh, you know, recovery. Um, I also feel like lots of times families feel a little bit left out, you know, on the outpatient team, I work with the identifying patient, the therapist works with the identifying patient. I bring the family members in, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes at the end of session to kind of tell them what goals are. But, you know, the family is really kind of left out of that, like support and education and communication. Um, so that's a lot of communication that I have with my families. Hey, we are looking to PHP, IOP, you're going to be a little bit more involved there. Like if you couldn't find family therapy here in this outpatient, or you don't feel like you've had you know, en- enough, this is really going to be an area where you can kind of flourish and uh, integrate that. What do you think about family therapy? I completely agree. You know, as you said, there are so many studies out there that talks about sustained recovery when, under, when undergoing family therapy. I know in our studies, we've seen, we've seen significant outcomes, you know, with family involvement, whether that is like even just family dinners, we mm-hmm. know that that is so beneficial. So we do a lot of family work, you know, especially if there's an adolescent living under, you know, or someone living under parents roof, like that is, that is required. Mm-hmm. It's really important because, you know, there are definitely roadblocks and triggers that could be within the family and is, can, can we get as far in recovery without diving into those chosen to those roadblocks, even if it's just educating family on eating disorders. Cause I, we've heard a lot of families just don't understand, don't really know what it's about. Don't know what to look out for in those red flags. So even if it's just the education, I know for myself and when I involve family in my nutrition sessions, it's a lot of education about nutrition. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, this is what their meal plan is how can you keep your loved one accountable? How can you, you know, provide the food for the meal plan? And how can you support them when they're really, really struggling? Treatment's hard to do alone. 
recovery is really hard to do alone. So it's so important to have that family or that support, you know, just, just there to help, to help them through it. And even just, you know, like we said, a lot of ingrained beliefs or triggers, you know, working through that. We also do like a multifamily group every week, which is a place where we have all clients and bringing in a support, whether it's family, whether it's friends in a, in a big group with everyone else. And it's a great place to start the conversation. It's not as like intense as family, individual family therapy sessions, but it's more of an educational place. It's more of a place of like, let's get this conversation started. So it's, I think it's super important. You know, we, we would recommend, we would refer to family therapists if we feel it's necessary to continue on after treatment as well. Right. And I think the important thing is that when somebody is referred to family therapy, it's not that they're, that's not happening because there's a judgment that there is, you know, something wrong with the family or that somebody is responsible for anything. It's because we know eating disorders are complex. I've said it multiple times, right? But I always say too, eating disorders are a disease that thrive in silence, right? So the person who's suffering doesn't say anything. They don't communicate. Oftentimes the family members are walking on eggshells because they don't want to trigger. It's the perfect environment to really have that um, communication. And for somebody who's trained to model appropriate responses and challenges, you know, it's a tool. Um, And, you know, we just, we are very grateful for that Um, with the increase in, you know, the call volumes in the last year, lots of therapists and outpatient have, you know, wait lists and, we just feel like it's so important. We are actually starting to launch um, something very close to your multifamily where we have the parent support group and it's, you know, psychoeducation um, and support to really, you know, how can I support the meal plan? What's my role in food exposures and challenges? How can I advocate for my child, you know, in school or with sports and things like that? So I just like to echo that it's just very important. And again, it's, it's, it's a support tool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I feel like this has been a great opportunity for us to explain a little bit more about like that transition with the different acuities of care. And I'm always so incredibly grateful for um, all of the collaboration. How mm-hmm. can someone find uh, more information about Renfrew? Yes, absolutely. So they can go in a variety of ways. You know, of course, we have, we have a website, www.runcrewcenter.com. You can find information about our facilities. You can find information about our programs and next steps. Uh, there's, there's just a lot on there. And we also provide a lot of um, like virtual education seminars. Maybe it's some um, continuing education credits for those who need those, or it's just more informational just to learn more. We have those. We, they can also call 1-800-RENFREW if they want to schedule an intake or if they just want to learn, learn more about it. They can always do that. Right now, our residential program is in person, which is really great, and our day PHP program and our IOP evening program are virtual. So we have access, you know, we can give many people the support they need. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Um, and I look forward to continuing to work with you. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. I look forward to it. Bye. <laughs>